Welcome, welcome, welcome to Fantasy Baseball Beat. Thank you for choosing to join us. I'm Torres. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Torres Takes. With me is my co-host, Carlos Marcano, writer at PitcherList and Baseball Prospectus. Our other co-host, Mike Carter, will be joining us later. But Carlos, we got our first team preview, the Miami Marlins, and our first guest uh but before i introduce our guest i gotta know carlos because i had major fomo i had no sandy alcantara no john birdie this year tell me carlos did you have any exposure to those guys this past season well i'm in this in the same boat with you torrezo i'll take the the l there too so <laughs> with that and uh i i had a lot of jazz <laughs> so okay started out good yeah, 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 but yeah, I I didn't see that coming from Sandy, which uh, it's a, a lesson learned from this season. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to introducing our guest uh, here to talk about Sandy, John Birdie, and all things Marlins. There's nobody more plugged into the Marlins than this man. You know him. The fantasy community loves him. It's none other than. Mr. Craig Mish, host at Sports Grid, contributor to MLB Network and the Miami Herald. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Well, listen, we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to look at the season uh, that just passed for the Miami Marlins. We're going to look at the good. We're going to look at the bad. We're going to look at the gruesome. All right. So we already mentioned some of the good. We talked about Sandy Alcantara, your likely NL Cy Young winner. John Birdie, I mean, the guy was just, that run was epic. Uh, like I said, I had major FOMO. I had to unsubscribe. You know that MLB Steals Twitter account? Like, I was just, every day I was seeing John Birdie, a steal here, two steals there. And I just had to unsubscribe because I'm like, I can't take this anymore. I, I don't have the guy anywhere. Uh, but listen, Craig... I know there's not much to say about Sandy Alcantara. I mean, the dude is a stud, but anything, uh, do you have any insight into kind of what what has led to this ascension for him and, and what do you expect from him moving forward? Uh, well, you know, Sandy, you, you know, sort of showed it, I thought, a couple of years ago when he had that great year. And, you know, obviously I, I think that it was just this year was a build off the year before. Um, but I, I think what he's learned to do is find his spots when he's trying to miss bats, but he's also not afraid to throw, you know, pitches in the zone that he can induce ground balls. He's one of the best, you know, double play pitchers in baseball in addition to all of the other things that he does. So I think trusting his stuff overall and despite throwing as hard as any pitcher in the big leagues, understanding that sometimes to keep your pitch count, you got to pitch to contact. I think that's really what put him over the top. And uh, he's going to win the Cy Young Award next month. I don't think there's any question about that. So it definitely was a really amazing season to see. Um, you know, I go very far back with Sandy to when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals, I think as a 19-year-old or 18-year-old. Or old, I, I was introduced to him when he was on, you know, some of the backfields with the Cardinals because they trained in the same spot as the Marlins in Jupiter. And, and I remember to myself, my gosh, like this kid's big and lanky and like just all over the place. Like, I don't know. It seems I don't know if this kid's going to be good or not. And, um, you know, he was at the time, you know, sort of learning from Carlos Martinez, former pitcher of the Cardinals. They were a buddy buddy. And uh, now he's, uh, you know, coming to his own. He's a superstar in the game. There's no question. And in fantasy drafts next year. I, I mean, it's very hard to project who's going to be the number one overall pitcher off the board, but I would guess he's in the top five without a doubt. Yeah, early drafts that I've seen, he's going in like the middle second round, um, so around pitcher SP5, I think. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the one the one knock from a fantasy perspective is that he's not going to have that huge K per nine, but right. it, it, it balances out because of, all that volume he gives you and in today's game i mean he's a unicorn right like there's nobody uh there's very few pitchers who are giving you that volume so uh yeah i i was um totally wrong about him i thought the lack of strikeouts you know would be an issue this year but he just he was unbelievable um moving on from sandy uh john birdie uh i want to focus we know what he did last year 
Um, looking at next year, do you think that, you know, I know it's hard to predict this now. The Marlins are obviously going to make moves and add players, but would you think that the Marlins prioritize him enough that he's going to get enough playing time to pay off what will probably be, you know, an elevated draft price because of those stolen bases? I think it would be a huge mistake. I think the Marlins last year had no choice but to use his speed, especially in the second half of the season when Jazz Chisholm went down. I mean, essentially, he was the only player that could extend, uh, you know, from first to second base. They they just didn't have anyone. And and the thing with Birdie is, while he's a really good ball player, and I think he's proven that over the last couple of years, uh, he's very injury prone. Um, you know, he's. I mean, most players, when you think about it, guys, when they're stealing fifty bases in a season, they're not thirty three years old. You know, like I mean, Ricky yeah. Henderson and Tim Raines, I guess. But I mean, in general, you just don't see that. And I, I think the Marlins learned the hard way, especially this year, that he's really best when he's getting three hundred, four hundred plate appearances. And he was on track to get 600 at one point this season. And then finally, you know, they, you know, he just got too banged up. So, uh, you know, I think he ended up, what did he end up with, guys? 51, is that right? Or, or close to it or something like that? Don't have it in front of me, but it's somewhere along right. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he led the National League. So, um, so, so somewhere along those lines, I mean, if I had to set a total for the season, I'd put it somewhere, you know, just below 30 steals. I think that that's more realistic, which is still a great number in fantasy these days because you can't find anybody doing that. Right, right. Yeah, he, he's going to be the added one next year. We're, we're supposed to have more stolen bases next year because of the changes to the bases and things like that. Maybe it gives him a little bit more of a pill, but if there's no volume, then there is a conundrum, right? If he if we will be able to, to be running because he will have enough played appearances. Right. Right. Yeah, he, I, mean, I don't. I don't. Him. I don't think he'll be penciled into it. I mean, remember he started a lot this season because Joey Wendell went down, and then Jazz went right. down, and Brian Anderson went down. I mean, I mean that's the that's the reason why he got so much playing time. He's he's like a, a three day a week player, four at the most, and so if you extrapolate that over the course of the season, you know you're probably looking at 400 plate appearances. Right. So for those of you who are targeting John Birdie or you know you're you're in the whatever i think i saw him going in like the 15th round if i'm not mistaken of a recent draft yeah uh, maybe you you missed out on speed early just be cautious you know because yeah you you're probably going to get a good amount of steals but those counting stats uh, could definitely hurt you if he's you know only playing 3 4 days a week but uh carlos you had mentioned jazz chisholm was one guy you had exposure to this season i'm sure you yeah. were feeling good you know up to a oh, certain, up to his injury uh, he looked he like he amazing. was going to be one of the the breakout players of the year. Unfortunately, got injured. Uh, but I know you had a question for Craig uh, about Jazz. Yeah, I, I think, and, and this is a common question that I've been recently thinking about. Alfonso Soriano, like uh, one of the best comes to put uh, Jazz uh, in the same tier when he was, I, I mean, a 40-40 guy. I, I think just showed a lot of power and we know he can run the bases do you think he can he can be something similar to zoriano in in his prime uh you know i i think if i'm not mistaken what's interesting is that he did an interview about a week ago on mlb network where i i think that part of he's going to tone down trying to steal as many bases and getting as crazy as he was on the base pass because he's looking to stay healthy the entire season so um 40 seems like a lot, 30 seems like a lot, but I, I definitely, you know, that's a guy that I'd put a total if I had to set it at somewhere between 20, 25, somewhere along those lines, but he, he does love his numbers. And so if, if he's close to 30, 30 at the end of the year, I could certainly see him going for it. But uh, the Marlins basically, once he went down, that was a shell of an offense at that point. And, yeah. and they have to have him on the field next year. And, and they yeah. can't afford for him to miss half a season, which is essentially what he did. So uh, one way to injury is to have guys steal. We've seen that with Trout. Mm-hmm. We've seen it with other players, too. It's just a dangerous proposition. I, I think you brought up a good point with the expansion of the bases, making them a little bit bigger. That will help some players. But I, I don't know how much more aggressive the stars are going to be because they're the critical players to keep on the field. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for the insight on on the good players, uh, or at least the ones that performed well for the Marlins last season. Want to transition to some some bad stuff here, some negative. Uh, starting with Car- uh, Trevor Rogers, um, 
it was just if you had him in fantasy last year, it was just a disaster. Um, you know, a lot of people ended up dropping him after he got injured. So they might have missed at the end of the year when he came back in September. Now, I know short sample or small sample rather, but in 18 innings pitch, I mean, he really looked good in September, had a 2.75 XFIP. Craig, what are your thoughts on Trevor Rogers moving forward? Is there any, was it health? Was there, was it just natural? Was it development? Like, what do you think contributed to his struggles last season? It's hard to say. It didn't look like he was all that prepared going into the season this year, to be honest with you. It just looked like whatever he did in the offseason didn't work. And then it took him months to really get back on track once he came off the injured list and, you know, had a rehab stint. Kind of looked like he got it figured out. What was interesting about him was that despite his struggles, he was one of the most asked about players at the trade deadline for the Marlins. So, you know, it will be interesting to see how they approach that this offseason, because even though I guess some people would consider it a sell uh, low on Rodgers, you know, there's there's no shortage of teams that are interested in him. And Miami, uh, you know, if you think about Major League Baseball rotations, they have a kid, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about all these guys, but Braxton Garrett, who came on for them last year. They have Jesus Lazardo, who looked really good for them last year. And, uh, and they also, of course have Trevor Rogers, and they have another kid on the way named Jake Eater, who I think could be in their rotation. That's four lefties, guys, and that's not going to work in a Major League Baseball rotation. So, uh, you know, I, I see them moving someone, and I think Rogers is, is, you know, certainly a candidate potentially to be moved this offseason to another team. From Rogers that I saw was the, the, the slider. I, that amazing pitch that he has, it wasn't just working at all at, at some point, but but, I, but we saw some improvement, as Torres said, in those 18 innings. And part of it was that he got, I don't know what they say, the, the feeling of that slider or something. Something clicked there. Yeah. I, I thought injuries was a big part, but that inside about him not being that like into it in the, from the beginning of the season, that's something important, right? And, and we will need to see. Yeah, well, not, you know, not every player in Major League Baseball is, is going to spend their entire offseason in the city that they play. And that's a lot to ask of someone. So right. I don't know that it's realistic to say to Trevor Rogers, hey, as soon as October comes, uh, you know, you can't go back to New Mexico. You have to stay in uh, Jupiter. But I think the Marlins are, are going to do that this year. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that that's going to be part of that where uh, he's going to be have to, you know, have to be one of the guys that's here early. That's, you know, certainly or if he's on the team, you know, obviously, you know, putting himself in a better position. Um, because again, there's really not a lot to, to answer with him yeah. except for he just didn't look like the same guy in April, May, and June. And so what does that tell you? It's something with his off season routine that went awry in my opinion. So, um, we'll see. I don't, I don't think it's a matter of working hard. It's just a matter of, uh, not, not being in, in the proper position to, I think, start the season. Cause he looked completely off from day one. Mm -hmm. Another player who who looked completely off from day one last year was uh, Jesus Sanchez, and, and he was like he became a, a a darling, a fantasy darling before drafts. You know, everybody who was kind of uh, looking for some late power was talking up Jesus Sanchez. He kept moving up boards, uh, but he really disappointed last season. Ended up getting sent down to the minors. Craig, any insight into his struggles, and are are you optimistic that there's going to be a bounce back this season? Yeah, you know, I, I think that you know he, he certainly can put up better numbers next year than he put up this year, but I don't I don't think they envision him as an everyday player any longer. He uh, absolutely cannot hit left-handed pitching at all, mm -hmm. so that's done. So you, you know that that's over with. It's just a matter of can he make the most of uh, of his opportunities when he's facing right-handers, which is you know a platoon player that goes for a lot of players, but uh, you know that's another player where I would say his game preparation wasn't up to par with some of the other players on the team. He's got to grow up a little. He's got to understand that pitchers are, are going to find holes in the swing, and he has to be the one that's willing to adjust early work. Uh, young player, not the first player that's young that's going to struggle, but this league is is, is the, the best thing about baseball. What's so amazing is the advanced scouting. Once they figure out what to do with you, if you can't make the adjustments, as a player, you're going. You're not going to make it, and that's what happened with him last year. So, if if he can make the adjustments and decides to commit more to his craft, 
I think he can become a better player, but I don't think you'll ever see him face left-handed pitching, which tells you that he's not a full-time player in Major League Baseball. But, um, hey, you know, part-time players can hit 25 home runs only facing righties and have, you know, a home run every few at-bats. Maybe that's this guy. But I, I don't know if the Marlins envision that going into next year. It, it might be interesting to watch how, how is he going to perform in the Dominican Republic. I know he's playing over there with Ryan De La Cruz also. And uh, Daniel Alvarez, good buddy of mine, told me that uh, they were really in, in Dominican, very expectant about what what to get from, from Jesus. And I mean, w wouldn't be the first time that someone turns around in, during the winter leagues, right? But it looks like it depends 100% of, of him. Yeah, got to show up to the game on time. Got to show up to the game, period, right? You can't miss no. a game. You can't forget there's a game, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And that's part of this, unfortunately. So uh, maturity, you know, that's a good word, I think, for this. Maybe he can get a little bit more mature and figure it out. But uh, I, I will not be one that's heavily invested on him in fantasy drafts, that's for sure. Right. And, and yeah, that that's such a good insight for us to know. Like, I, I mean, of course, he can, you know, improve his work ethic and make some changes there. And, you know, um, but that's the stuff that we're not going to see in the projections, right? Like, that's why this information is so valuable, because, you know, if there's questions around, you know, is he giving 100 percent? Is his preparation in the right place? And, you know, that's uh, that's a reason to kind of maybe lower expectations going into next year. But um, I want to, you know, the whole offense last year with Miami, it just I don't know if part of it was the park or, you know, or the uh, hitting coaches or, or, you know, just organizational approach. But, man, the, the offense was just way, way uh, below expectations. Uh, and in that vein, I want to talk about Jorge Soler, Abisail Garcia. And, and maybe that's not completely fair because they both were dealing with injuries. But um, what are your thoughts on them moving forward? Obviously, the Marlins are locked into them for, you know, pretty uh, big contracts. So what do you think about them? Are, are they pieces that the Marlins might look to move or – Uh, do they see them as part of their future? Yeah, I mean, anything is on the table. So Lair, I believe, will opt in you know, to his contract. There would be no reason for him not to. Right. He has this sort of mysterious back issue that really plagued him for most of the year. And even toward the end of the year, there was really no clarity on it. And, and now you don't get any reports on injuries. So I'm not really sure where he's at. But between Soler and Garcia, Soler is the one that I would sort of bank on a little bit of coming back to who he was maybe not the guy that he was when he took the braves to the world series but maybe going back to the 25 30 35 home run guy that he was in uh, in kansas city just because he has that raw power we saw a little bit of it in miami and uh, and injuries definitely were a big part of his season too um and and when you think about it if, if solaire was you know if you were to make a comparison give me give me 30 home runs give me 230 give me a 320 on base i mean it's pretty much worth another one year and 12 million or 13 right. million and that's kind of what he signed up for so right. i think miami will take him back and say hey like you know well we'll give this a shot now as far as avisel garcia is concerned boy i don't really have a good explanation for that he came in out of shape without a doubt he apologized for that to the organization at the end of the year But why did it take him so long to lose the weight? All of a sudden, he comes back in September, and he's like half the size. Uh, you know, hitting the hitting the ball on the ground. I mean, maybe the park did get to him. I'm not sure. But, guys, the park doesn't get to Mookie Betts or Pete Alonzo when they come to town, you know? Right. And, and so uh, you have to obviously wonder if Avisel Garcia got that money and just, uh, you know, sort of, you know, got the big yeah, contract and, 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 and let it get to his head or his stomach or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you know, they say they say that he's a good guy and I didn't really get a chance to know him all that well because he didn't really talk all that much all season. And quite frankly, I wasn't around in the clubhouse before a lot of the games, but the reviews were all pretty horrid. And in my opinion, I don't think Miami would give him away for free, but certainly if they could move that money somehow and you know, around and, and, you know, to somebody else, I think they would love to do it. I just I don't know what team would take on that player right now after the year that he had last year. So I have some optimism with Soler. I, mm -hmm. I, I think that he could be okay, but I, I saw nothing from beginning to end on Abisel Garcia that leads me to believe that all of a sudden he's going to hit 29 home runs again like he did in Milwaukee two years ago. 
Right. He only had one homer in his final 20 games the last season. Uh, that was he, he finished the season 0 for 7 with five strikeouts and three yeah. looking. Yeah, it was really awful. All right, so moving forward, we we touched a little bit on kind of uh, looking at some moves that they may uh, that the Marlins may make, but um, I want to ask you more generally, Craig. Like, where do you see this organization heading? I mean, do they see themselves as contenders going into next year? Do you think that they're going to bring in talent? Um, I know I heard you mention on your podcast that you. You think they are going to make some additions, but like to what what level of player do you expect them to bring in, and what positions do you see as most needed going forward? Yeah, they, they, I mean, contenders is strong. I, I think that in a best case scenario, if they were to scrape around eighty wins, eighty one, eighty two wins, I think, I mean, that would be on the high end, but not impossible, I guess, with the pitching that they had. That's kind of where I think they thought they would be this year, uh, but you know, still thirteen, fourteen wins away from that. So I, I think that their approach may change. It may not be a free agency deal. It may be trades because then this way you don't have to shell out those big contracts and take another, you know, turn down that road with giving out another 50 or another 40 like they did last year. Center field sort of has to be solved. Uh, you know, that was just a, a nightmare season for them from start to finish. De La Cruz finished well, but, uh, you know, he, he was finished well two years ago, too. So I don't know that that would be really smart to count on an everyday player. And he's not a plus defender in center right. field at all. So, um, you know, I, I still believe if Brian Reynolds does get traded, he ends up with Miami. I do think that that Miami, you know, was really pursuing him hard last year. And the Pirates just weren't willing at all to consider it. And if they do this time around... I think that, that the Miami has a lot to offer Pittsburgh, so I certainly think they can. I, I think um, they match up well in terms of trade with the Texas Rangers, too. So I think that with the Rangers needing, the Rangers really have some nice young bats in the minors and even some of the majors, and the Marlins have the pitching. Maybe that's a match for them to you know consider there. So a bona fide center fielder. And then I think the other approach that they're going to have is maybe targeting some players uh, that are, uh, you know, surprisingly maybe guys on some on some expiring contracts where they bring in players that have to prove it to themselves and to the league that they are viable so they can hit free agency and stop signing these guys that that really are just locked in and then have nothing to prove. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, in a way, when you think about what Tampa Bay does, they usually get guys toward the end and then we're so shocked that they let them go but they're all playing for big contracts, so there's a lot of motivation there. And uh, and listen, as good as the Rays have been, guys, over the last 10 years, they've only given out one multi-year deal. Would you believe it? One multi-year deal in 10 years. Charlie Morton is the only one. So maybe that's the way the Miami goes about it. They go out and they look and they say, hey, this guy's going to be a free agent this year. Let's bring him in. We know he's got to play for something. Uh, we know the motivation is there. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And uh, you know, getting guys that put the ball on the bat more often, I think, has, has got to happen. The team just strikes out way too much. Yeah. Yeah, I, they, they definitely need a change in their offensive approach. But they're, they're pitching. I mean, you know, you touched on it earlier. They just have a surplus of pitching. And they're, they're doing something right down there uh, in terms of developing their pitchers. I, I heard yep. you mention on your podcast as well about uh, Mel Sotomayor Jr. And, and his role in developing this pitching and it, it sounds like he's it, he's not a guarantee to come back next year i guess he his contract is expired so if you could tell me a little bit because like he wasn't i wasn't even really familiar with with him and and his impact so can you speak a little bit um to you know his impact on that those young arms they have sure yeah i mean i think he'll be back next year it's not reported yet but i think he'll be back but Regardless of that, uh, yeah, I mean, he he basically gets a lot of credit for developing Sandy Alcantara at the big league level, uh, you know, getting Pablo Lopez to a point where he made all of his starts this season, too. You know, it's so interesting, guys, that so much is said for all of the injuries that the Marlins have had, and there's been some alluding to the bad luck that they've had because of injuries. But I don't know about you, but is there any number one or number two starter in all of baseball that made every single start this season like the Marlins had? I would say they had some good luck right. as opposed to bad luck, to be honest with you, with right. that uh, last year. So um, I, I think he's done a great job getting those guys who have come to the big leagues, making them better. They also have guys in the minor leagues 
Uh, Scott Aldred and Tommy Phelps have been two player development uh, pitching gurus who have done a, phen a phenomenal job with some of the younger guys that they have. And the combination, the combination of the majors and minors between uh, Mel and the relationship that he's been able to build with some of these guys and the trust, uh, Lazardo is another one too. So yeah. very important to the organization. And, and they recognize that. And I, I think next week when the Marlins name their manager, they'll probably just announce that Mel is coming back too. I, I don't think he's leaving. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like that's something I know myself that I, I just don't put enough thought into. Uh, I mean, we got enough to think about and analyzing, you know, stats and th there's so much to think about when it comes to fantasy baseball. But like yeah. the role that a pitching coach or a hitting coach plays, I think, especially like given how big analytics are now, it's like we kind of we we don't give enough importance to things like that, like even looking at. Uh, like Brent Strom when he went to Arizona and like the improvements that they made over there, you know, it's like there are certain there are certain uh, coaches that just they make an impact, you know, and it's, right. it, it sounds like Mel yeah. Stoudemire Jr. is is one of those guys. I mean, the track record speaks for itself. Matt yeah, Blake with the really Yankees. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, it's interesting that you mentioned Brent Strom because I think that's you know, maybe Mel is not quite Brent Strom yet, because again, Brent Strom won some World Series with Houston. We got to put him on a different level, and I think Mel does too. Uh, but you know, he's maybe Mel. He's maybe a Brent Strom light, and yeah. that was the fear I think that the Marlins had to have going into this off season, which was, if you guys remember, I think Brent Strom pretty much retired from yeah. uh, baseball from the Houston Astros, and then all of a sudden they brought these two bags of cash in Arizona and said, hey. Uh, come out here, and we got this guy Merrill Kelly, and uh, and and he and he made that guy into a star. And Zach Gallen's taking another step too. I think it's a fair point. Yeah. All right. So I know it's early, but we got to talk about everybody's favorite category. Uh, Carlos, you know what that is. Saves. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to talk about saves. So I, oh, it's messy, I'm sure, right now. But is there even anybody? that's worth speculating on you know for these people doing early drafts uh is there anybody in the bullpen that is worth speculating on as just closer? before that i cannot tell you how many ways did anthony bender broke my heart this year oh, so. gosh. <laughs> i mean but that was silly to believe in that i mean come on was no, it silly not. to believe in cole solcer too because i spent like a ton of fab on him you remember craig when he got the closers roles like on a sunday for a and day for a day right and then he they went to colorado to and by the afternoon that he had already that, that they brought him in like the eighth inning and he got blown up it was just awful um so not good job not a good job I, not I, a I mean there, yeah there's there's something to be said for getting the closers on teams that don't score a lot of runs yeah. because they're going to get a lot of opportunities and that's why tanner scott's got so many chances like yeah. when i have conversations with people uh inside the marlins are like yeah but tanner scott got 16 saves i'm like yeah because you guys don't score like what do you think like you're bringing this guy in every single day what do you think the outcome is going to be he saves 50 percent of the time gets 30 chances he gets 15 saves uh boy i don't know i i really do not think the guy that has the most saves is on the roster right now i don't i don't think so do you think that they're going to so. look for someone outside for that yeah, but but you know, someone on the cheap. That that was something they missed out on last year. Uh, you know, their their answer to me on that is, well, who did you want us to get? You know, like who who would have worked out? Melanson? Yeah. No, you know, Ian Kennedy? Not really. You know, so I I understand that notion, but I I think Mel in particular, knowing Mel, he is going to make them get someone that has some experience going into this year. I I, I really do believe that well i don't know what that will cost and you guys would have to tell me like i haven't even begun to look at the potential free agents but uh somewhere along the lines of like a one year three four million guy you know like robertson you know is probably going to be out there again as a possible closer um what about like a crusty alex colome you know like one of those yeah he doesn't like... even strike out anybody anymore you know oh i God. mean the, you know the name that everyone's gonna go in miami for is they're gonna say they should sign chapman you know everyone thinks that that's probably what they should oh, do good and, and and who knows you know maybe maybe i mean he's not throwing nearly as hard anymore but he lives here that never works out by the way the guys <laughs> that live in miami never work out in miami but uh you know you're gonna hear some of that but uh, they, they've now failed in, on that for a couple of years. What's interesting 
is when they had Brad Ziegler, that worked. And they had Romo, and that worked. And they had Kinsler, and that worked. And they all had, like, serious closing experience. Mm -hmm. But then they tried to make Anthony Bass into a closer, and that was a failure. And he was phenomenal this year in the seventh inning. So they they need to find, like, a a guy that just – I know it's crazy, but that has the ninth inning experience, that old-school experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Mel's going to demand that, I think. And, you know, you guys could probably look at the free agents out there and tell me, hey, like, here's a few guys, here's a few names. And then and guess what's going to happen? If they win, the guy will spend the whole year on the team. And if they're 10 games under in July, that guy's going to be on another team, right. <laughs> not getting right. saved anymore. So we're going to do we're we're running short on time here. So we're just going to do some some quick hitters to to wrap up here. Uh, and I want to hit on some fantasy viable players. You touched on Brian De La Cruz already. Uh, it sounds like you're skeptical. Um, you know, he had that, that, that great finish, but he's shown that he's shown flashes before, but has never really been able to put it together. And I think the point you made about his defensive numbers, if you go look at those, I mean, not good at all. So no. that could, uh, you know, impact his playing time. But uh, Nick Fortes, wondering about his playing time. Do you think he gets enough PT? I know Stallings is there. Um, you know, he's got the defense. Do you think Fortes gets enough playing time to be, we're talking deep leagues now, but like, you know, a third catcher in a 15-team league? Uh, yeah, I think there's that chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he, he showed more uh, with the bat definitely than Stallings did last year. That was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that there's, you know, there's some buy low possibility there. You never know. Maybe Miami was to move Stallings. I mean, I don't think so. But, um, you know, there's a chance there. you got to remember Stallings is Sandy's catcher. So I think no matter what, that's going to continue. You're not going to break that up. But I, I think he could see more playing time. Sure. What about Sixo Sanchez? Are we ever going to see him again? Next question. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Max Meyer. Max Meyer. What do you think about him? Year. He had Tommy John surgery, so he's a stash in the dynasty. That's it. Okay. Uh, J.J. Bleday. Excuse me. J.J. Bleday. Boy, J.J. Bleday has not looked good at all in the big leagues. And, um, I mean, a lot of tinkering with his swing for years in the minors, last three years, a COVID year. Uh, I, I don't think you can project him as an everyday player. Uh, very passive at the plate, has missed pitches, Mattingly says. You know, he says he gets a good pitch, he doesn't hit it, fouls it off or takes it. Can't uh, Don't really have, at this moment, high hopes for him. I, I can't believe that he ends up as, like, a bust. I mean, I don't – I mean, it's crazy because, you know, he went so high in the draft, whoever right. had the next pick would have taken him too. And he was right. the best best hitter coming out of college that year. So uh, let, let, let's wait and see, but, you know, not somebody that I have interest in. Okay. What, what about Edward Cabrera? Do you think he is anchored in that rotation for the next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I, mean I, I think so, but, he, you know, again, he falls into the category of, can I guarantee you he's making 25 starts? Like, he's had a lot of injury issues through right. the years. But his stuff is dynamic, and if he makes 25 starts, he could be the second-best pitcher on the Marlins, without a doubt. So I think he's someone to keep an eye on uh, next year. But again, you, you have to go back and look at the last three years, injury, injury, injury. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the, thing, the thing with him, guys, is that sometimes the injuries aren't that serious and he's got to pitch through it a little bit. I think that's part of the dynamic with him. I, you you got to love that change of. I think it's so incredible. He's just dynamite when he's locked in. Let's hope he has enough health. That that's the whole thing. They all have that change up, you know. I mean, Mel is with that and and the uh and and the slider. I mean, Mel, Mel's dynamics as to what he's taught these guys has has been has been fantastic. But yes, if Edward Cabrera is healthy, he's he's phenomenal, but health you know it's it's like yeah. you bring up six sanchez is a ridiculous conversation to have i mean how many years <laughs> in a row are we going to do this but with cabrera a little bit different because he did show enough last year but two different right. uh injured listings for him last year last year mm-hmm. so speaking of injury i i know you mentioned jake eater before um yes and, and, and right now he's listed as uh and i'll be honest i don't know the nature of his injury he's listed on roster resources being injured when mm-hmm. can we expect him to be back He's going to be a starter in the major leagues next year. There's no doubt. He missed okay. all of last year with Tommy John surgery. 
Uh, his numbers in the minor leagues were the best in all of double A for the time that he pitched two years ago. Uh, he'll probably only be limited to maybe a hundred innings. So you're not going to see him, uh, you know, maybe in April or May, but there's no doubt he's a bona fide starter. I would project him as a number two or number three in the big leagues. Some people thought he was even better than Max Meyer. So wow. uh, a great dynasty league pick, I think, for the future. Maybe even a trade piece if they have to, but absolutely a name to keep an eye on. And, and I believe will be making starts this season. Probably 13, 14 starts would be a guess. All right. Well, this has been so informative. I want to thank you, Craig. Uh, but I want to ask you one last question. It's not about like you know, projecting next year or whatever. I just want want to ask you, I'm always interested to hear from beat writers because they're getting insight, they're getting perspective that we don't see. And I'd love to know, do you have anything like any fun or interesting story that you could tell us? Uh, you've been around the Marlins for a, a long time. Uh, anything that you would want to share uh, with our audience, like just just a good story about your time with the team? Sure. Like, you know, I, I, I was, I, I came from, I grew up in, um, was very, very young, didn't grow up. That's not fair. I was very young and I moved from Brooklyn to uh, Miami in 1980. And so when I first moved here, there was really no team to root for. There was no major league team. So a lot of my fandom as a kid was rooting for the Yankees because they played on TV and the Braves because they played on TV and then the Cubs. And that's all I got a chance to see. So starting really in 1993, ever since the Marlins came in, at the time I was at the University of Florida during their first year, but I, I was always following them from afar, and I was in media very early on, and and and, I, and when I came back after graduating, and and you know this was going like late 90s, early 2000s, uh, I had the opportunity to cover them more intensely. So that was sort of my first time being around the team more. So we're talking about uh, 99, 2009, uh, you know, almost, you know, 20 years, somewhere along those lines of doing it almost a lot, you know, being there a lot. And one of the players that I met that I developed a, a pretty good relationship very early on was a guy by the name of Cliff Floyd. And he and I uh, ended up becoming very good friends together. And, you know, going out, our families got to know each other very well, and we hit it off. Uh, when he retired, he, he called me and told me that he wanted to go into broadcasting. And so we uh, hosted several shows together. We started a charity foundation. And, cool. it, it, and you know, we, and then we did the first ever fantasy baseball show on Sirius XM. I mean, me and him were hosting uh, three days a week, and then Steve Phillips and uh, Jeff Rickard, who's another host on, on SiriusXM, they hosted the other two days. So it's funny that Cliff, who had no knowledge of fantasy baseball whatsoever, was posed as a fantasy baseball expert <laughs> for... Uh, I, I worked for SiriusXM for almost 10 years hosting that fantasy baseball show. He worked for the first, like, four years, and then he shot up, went to MLB Network, and, you know, went to, uh, you know, yeah. do, do great working for the Cubs. Marlon's doing some great things. But uh, I actually hosted the first ever fantasy baseball show, not not ever, but on Sirius XM. And it was with Cliff Floyd only because in 1999 and 98, when Cliff was with the Marlins, he and I were friends at that time. So he, he would tell you the same story that I would tell here. But um, relationships, not just with the Marlins, but with players around the league. Uh, you know, they, they would they used to know me as the fantasy guy, fantasy baseball guy. Uh, I, I developed a very good relationship with JT Romuto when he was on the Marlins. Uh, he and I played in the same fantasy bait. I would, you know, play fantasy football with him. Uh, we won the Marlins League one year, play in the Phillies League two. Uh, so fantasy sports has always been a big part of of what I've done and a lot of it is because of the players and the people that are around Major League Baseball but uh, as much as I love fantasy sports and I still host a show on it every day uh, you know guys really what has has really taken over as I'm sure you guys know right now is, is sports wagering you know that's really become uh, a lot more of what I've been doing now uh, not with baseball but with the you know talking about it and talking about with the other sports so uh, like you guys I'm very curious to see where we're headed with fantasy baseball because 
I, I never I was never one of those people that wanted to believe that it was going to go away. And I always think that there's still going to be a very important group of people that play fantasy baseball, that play season long, that want to hear from people like me. But I hope that passion continues because the more and more we go, I see more people sort of dropping off and uh, and going toward other things. But it's always where my roots were. And so naturally, you know, I, I still root for it to succeed. Yep. And that's a, I, when I introduced you, I mean, I, I know people on, on fantasy baseball, Twitter talk about, yeah, very fond of, of your work. And I remember listening to you, you know, with Cliff Floyd and, you know, on Sirius XM, we, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, how they've gone in a different direction with that channel. And, yeah, you know, so. yeah. it's a, I, I think that's a shame. Um, but yeah, miss listening to, to you on that channel. You were, you were great on there. But, yeah. And, um, and, and that's the thing is that when it's like, you know, I guess for and I don't I don't really consider myself a beat writer because I'm not in the clubhouse before the games every day. The dynamics of covering sports has changed too. Yeah. It's like some people say like you have to be there, and then my answer is like, is Ken Rosenthal have to be there? Does Jeff Passan have to be there? Does Adam Schefter <laughs> have to be there? Like these guys are never there, and they're getting all the info. So why can't I do that too? You know, um, right. but but I, I know but the difference between me maybe and some other person who covers a baseball team is when somebody says to me, hey, do you think this guy's going to pitch next week? I know it's because they want to put him in their fantasy lineup in a head-to-head league or, or a season-long league. Because <laughs> I've been there, too. Because I have right. been there, too. And so I try to answer those questions as best I can because I know how much it means to them to have somebody like me who really respects uh, the fantasy baseball player. Because believe me, if, if it wasn't for fantasy baseball, there's no doubt that I wouldn't have the, the jobs that I have now. No question. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. that's why I, I told I told Carlos I'm like he would be the best first guest for this show uh, oh, yeah, because was... you you understand the game you know we're gonna be looking at this information from a fantasy perspective and I'm not sure everybody who we talk to is really gonna get that uh, you know where we're coming from but we know that you do uh, thank you so much Craig we we would love to have you back on at some point during the season so that invitation is there. But um, if you could just please tell our listeners where they can find your work. Well, the first thing I'll say is that I'll try to get the closer right for everyone before the season starts. <laughs> try to get you guys the most saves. Believe me, I know how important that is. So before the season starts, just ask me and I will and I will do my best. You know, somebody it's interesting. Somebody uh, asked me uh, two years ago who the closer of the Marlins was going to be. And I said it was going to be Anthony Bass. They said I was going to be wrong. Bass didn't end up with the most saves. And they came after me at the end of the year. And I said, what are you talking? I mean, Bass blew three of the four the four saves. What do you want me to do? He was the closer right. at the beginning you of the season. You were right on that one. I followed I mean, you down that path, too. I, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I even sorry quoted you guy, in one of my articles. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> the guy who saved games. But would you rather have a guy that you think may save games or the guy who gets the first shot? I want right. the guy that gets the first shot because if he keeps it, he's the closer the whole year. But no one in baseball gets th gets three blown saves in a row. You're removed. Right. You get one, no problem. You blow it. Two, you're on edge. Three, you're oh, done. Put him in the six. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> Every player. It goes for them all. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. And my shows are on Sports Grid, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern. It's fantasy sports today. Lots of fantasy football this time of the year, obviously. And then at two o'clock, uh, two two o'clock Eastern is a Newswire, and it's a show about sports betting and the business of uh, sports wagering. All right, very good. Well, go check out Craig's work and the Miami Herald too. If you, you know, and I had a podcast called Swings and Missions, but we, you know, it's the Marlins. You know, eventually it's going to run its course, so we we <laughs> shut it down for now. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, we will be joined by Mike Carter in a moment here, but uh, we're just going to take a quick break. We are back with my lovely co-host, Mike Carter. He is joining us. Mike, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Chris. You know, um, I do have to say before we get started that uh, the next time you see me, I probably won't have a beard because my boys won the championship last week in the uh, Fox Valley out here, and their reward for winning was to shave off my beard at the team party next Sunday. So, wow. Yeah. That quite a reward. Yeah, they, we did that earlier on in the season. I said that that would be a promise that I would keep, and they, they did it, so I got to make good on it. What they don't realize is that it takes me about three days to grow a beard, so it'll they, be that same here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for me, it's just one uh <laughs> but uh man it's gonna be weird I, I can't even picture you without it 
So yeah, most people most people on Twitter have never seen me without it. That's for sure. Yeah, holy cow! I don't know. It's it's going to change the whole dynamic of the show. <laughs> but uh, well, congratulations to you and your son. And, and that was the reason, just for our listeners, uh, that's the reason why Mike couldn't join us for the interview. He was uh, too busy managing his son's baseball team, which is a damn good excuse. Um, but uh, I'm wondering, are you? I mean, now you've got to be in contention for the Marlins job, I'd imagine, after coming <laughs> off this championship, right? Well, I mean, I, I don't think that I could do any worse than what Mattingly did there the last couple of months, honestly. Um, you know, they're an interesting team, Chris. You know, they've, they've, they've got some talent there. And I, I thought one of the things that was really interesting in the interview that you did with Craig, which was awesome, by the way, was, you know, what's the outlook for this team moving forward? I mean, what are they? What do they kind of want to be when they grow up? And I don't feel like it's a real clear blueprint at this point as to what they really want to be when they grow up. What do you think? I think, man, I, I just I feel like they've been in this limbo for forever now. You know, um, I don't get the sense from Craig that they're looking at this as really a year for them to go for it, that mm -hmm. they're going to go out and, and spend a bunch of money. Uh it's really tough to say, you know, it seemed like when Jeter came in, they had a direction. They were going to be, they were going to kind of take on Jeter's lead, right? It seemed like they were going in the right direction. And obviously he had different vision, a different vision for the franchise than ownership did, or, or rather, you know, his partners. So it's really tough to say, you know, where they're going. I mean, you know, we talked about it when we were prepping for the show. Like, this is a super interesting team, though, especially when it comes to fantasy. Uh, there's a, a lot of good young talent. You know, we, we touched on uh, a lot of these players during the interview. You know, a few things that, that stood out to me were, uh, you know, he talked about one guy who really disappointed last year was Jesus Sanchez. And mm -hmm. this is kind of why we bring on someone like Craig to kind of get this insight. He talked about what really sounded like some not so great work ethic from him. And that's something to consider moving forward, right? Besides the potential platoon issue, like he was saying, he might just be a, uh, a strong side platoon guy moving forward at best. But, you know, you like Craig kind of alluded to it. And I kind of wish I pressed him a little bit more on this, but. I think he said that uh, Jesus Sanchez like didn't show up to a game or showed up late to a game. I think so. Yes, you know yes. this is the type of stuff that we we got to think about if if there's an issue there. Of course, someone could turn it around and you know make changes to their career. We've seen that happen, but something to consider. Uh, you know, what players do you foresee yourself targeting in this year's draft? Like I said, there's a lot of players that that we could consider for fantasy. Unlike, you know, some teams like uh, I think Carlos's favorite team, the Oakland A's, like we're going to struggle with that one because I don't think there's <laughs> anybody there that you're going to want in your fantasy team. But radio, radio silence that day. Yeah, yeah. that one's going to be a very <laughs> short one. Yeah, for uh, sure. But uh, what about you? What are some who are some players that you're going to be looking at in your in your upcoming drafts? Well, you know, I think one of the guys that he talked about, too, and it's interesting what you said about Sanchez, because. Um, Craig did say in the middle of that interview that um, you know, he struggled with his preparation. And he also said the same thing about Trevor Rogers, which mm -hmm. I found interesting. I mean, you know, with a guy like Rogers, he comes up, he's 23 years old. He has a really good half season last year. And we all go crazy for that stuff as fantasy pundits, right? We, we love to, you know, prognosticate what we think the guy is going to be the next year. And, and I didn't have him rated super highly because my, my take on it was, let me see it again. But I think this year he might really come at a pretty steep discount. And yeah. he did have a pretty decent end of the season. So what the hope is there, I think, is at age 24 is that, you know, this guy's the pedigree is, a, you know, is a first round pick uh, 2017. He's a guy that they have really high hopes for. And Craig did say that he might be on the market uh, to move, mm -hmm. which, which might be a, a really great thing for him. A change of scenery might do him good. But if it's a question of preparation, to me, that's something that you can tackle as a player and mm -hmm. if that becomes the issue then maybe he's a guy that you look to buy low on next year you know uh certainly he was being taken as a borderline number two in a lot of drafts i think this year and i don't have him that high i mean I, if i could get him as my fourth starter i'd probably be pretty thrilled in a deep league i don't know that that's possible that's just me talking off the top of my head here uh in the middle of october 
Yeah, you know, I wish I was even thinking about jumping into one of these draft champions leagues just so I can get some ADP <laughs> so I can talk right. about it on the show. I'm just I'm not there yet, man. I, you know, we're uh, it's October 24th and I, I just I, I need a couple weeks to decompress from the season. So I know For some sure. people are already firing off like a bunch of drafts. I, I just can't do it. And there's no ADP out yet. So um you know we'll we'll be having access to adp shortly but yeah i think you're absolutely right i think trevor rogers is going to be for me a buy uh we'll see how far he falls but i mean so many people got burned for him like think about the people that took him over mcclanahan right that was like the tipping point for a lot of people in drafts this year did you take sure trevor was. rogers or mcclanahan around that round seven uh round eight price tag because McClanahan won you the league and you know when you miss on a pitcher that is too good to cut like a Trevor Rogers uh, I think we even talked about in the first show like a like a Giolito as well like those guys crush you man when they when you have a pitcher that you just keep running out there and they just never turn it around that just sinks your ratios and in a roto league it's so hard to recover from that so I think people are going to feel like they were burned by him and I think though you're going to get a pretty good discount and whether he stays in Miami, whether he stays, I mean, we talked about Mel Stoudemire Jr. They know what they're doing, you know, in developing pitchers. So I'm cool with if he stays, but if he gets a change of scenery, I, I think there's also, you know, the potential that he he taps in to that upside. So something, some someone I'm definitely targeting in drafts. Anybody else besides Trevor Rogers that you're looking at and saying he's probably going to end up on a, a, a good share of my teams. You know, I I think one guy that I'm really going to be kind of going after this year uh, is Chisholm, too. I mean, I, yeah. I saw him play in Kane County quite a bit, and I've talked about this before with you, Chris, that uh, about 10 minutes from here, we had a single-A team for many years that was an affiliate of uh, several different major league teams, but most recently um, for the Diamondbacks. And uh, they had Jazz Chisholm here for years, and the thing that I was always fascinated by and looking at him in the games was his hands. His hands were so quick. You could just see – that he had the the ability that a lot of the other guys that were on the field did not have, you know, and um, it, you just saw the speed, you saw all the things that he could do really well. And, you know, with, with us looking at the, the future and stolen bases being at such a premium, you know, this is a guy that if, if he gets the at bats, I mean, he only had 213 at bats last year, 241 total plate appearances, and hit 14 home runs and stole 12 bases. Yeah, the average is 254. I know, I know. But I'm not drafting him for that. I'm drafting him to fill the stats for my home runs and my stolen bases at my middle infield position. I mean, if you extrapolate that, and I know you can't do that. I know that it's not a perfect world. But he's easily a 25 to 30 stolen base guy, I think, if he stays healthy. And his injuries were sort of freakish last year. I don't think that those are, seri- are, are long-term you know, serious mm-hmm. injuries that are going to really keep him down. But, you know, if you look at his three season totals and 810 plate appearances, 34 home runs, 104 RBIs, 37 stolen bases, I'll take it. Uh, I'll live with the average. Absolutely, man. Yeah, he's someone I'll be targeting and he's someone I was out on this year. I felt there was a little bit too much too much risk with him, but I, I totally agree. I do know that he is going like around the fourth round. I think I've even seen some fifth round jazz chism on some of these boards that I've seen posted on Twitter mm-hmm. all day. I'll take that all day. Uh, like you said, the average, the average is something that you just there's so much variance in that. Right. I, I mean, I don't think he's a 300 hitter. But a couple extra hits and, you know, that 250 goes to a 260, you know, like it it can swing pretty quickly on on a couple hits over the course of a season. So I'm not really worried about that. I want those guys who are going to provide that power speed at the top of the draft and especially finding an infielder too. you know, I've I, I, yes. we'll talk a lot more about draft strategy and all that as we get closer uh, to draft season. But I if if given the choice, I'm always going to prefer a, an infielder over an outfielder. Yes, because it, it's just it's you don't want to. I was talking with somebody on Twitter about this. You don't want to fill your your infield spots with later round guys because there's often a reason those guys are going later. And uh, so I I think for sure I I agree. Jazz Chisholm, 
the the injury thing i i don't like you said i don't think it's going to be any there's going to be any long-term concerns he's already talked about i saw an interview with him that he's completely healthy at this point he'll be ready to go in spring training so no concerns there uh definitely something someone i'll be targeting one quick thing that he that craig brought up while talking about jazz chisholm that i just found interesting and this is more of a general observation not necessarily just the marlins but he talked about with the rule change with the stolen bait with the bases being bigger he brought up this idea that the star players maybe they don't see they don't have the same level of aggressiveness that say maybe more of a mid-tier player will have when it comes to stealing bases because for a lot of these guys especially ones who've had injury issues their primary goal and the team's primary goal is for them to be on the field yes right so you know and i don't know if there's anything to this we have plenty of time to speculate you can every podcast out there will be will be talking about how we handle the rule change but just wanted to bring that up quickly because i thought that was interesting you know maybe the the star players we're not going to see as big of a jump as maybe we'll see other players take uh with the the larger base size that's going to invite more stolen bases in general uh, so just wanted to bring that up. Any quick thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think, um, it doesn't necessarily mean to me that the guys that, uh, are the big stolen base threats are going to steal more. I see more of those mid tier guys, those mid range guys, the 10 to 12 to 15 steal kind of guys taking mm-hmm. advantage of that more. And, mm-hmm. and, and we all know, I mean, stolen bases are down across the board in just about every league that there is and every format that there is. Um, you could definitely see somebody, uh, I'm just thinking of an example here. Um, you know, a, a, oh God, who's a, who's an example, somebody like, uh, Tim Anderson didn't run all that much this year, mostly due to his, some of his leg injuries and things like that. He's been aggressive in the past with his base mm-hmm. dealing, but not the last two years so much. I mean, you could see him going from a guy who stole eight or 10 this past year to a guy who steals 15 to 20 easily. And if you can bank on a couple of those guys, if you hit on those, Boy, that could really unleash some uh, power for you in your draft. Right, right, absolutely. All right, a few quick hitters, just uh, um, some players that I want to touch on before we wrap up. Uh, John Birdie, you know, I, I was kind of of this opinion even before the the interview with Craig, but he brought up and he seemed pretty definitive about it that John Birdie is not going to be an everyday player. They were really forced to put him into an everyday role. It's kind of like a perfect storm for him this mm-hmm. season. And man, it was it was a freaking hurricane with those stolen bases. Uh, but he's not someone I'm going to be targeting at what his likely draft price is going to be, just because you're getting probably three to four days uh, a week from him, and that's just not enough. It's just not enough. It's going to hurt you in uh, the counting categories, and with other players taking that jump in stolen bases or what's expected to be a jump is his stolen base total going to be as impactful? And he's also 32, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't usually see guys that age, uh, you know, going at the same rate. And, and also, I mean, he's had a lot of injuries too. So it's an, I don't know if we're going to see that same reckless abandon. Uh, yeah, maybe, I know. I mean, maybe that's his only calling, calling cards. <laughs> maybe he's like, I, I got to go, you know, steal bases or else I don't have a, a place in the league. But right, right. Uh, he just gets he guys like that are the guys to get exposed when they have to play every day. To your point, you know that you you just can't. If he's only playing three days a week, even if he steals you a couple of bases, he's a liability in the other exactly. stats. It can't really have him. And there probably will be another, maybe not to that level, but another John Birdie type or a Bubba Thompson type or these guys that come up that you just don't you've never heard of, but that will be, make an impact uh in the middle of the season so he's a guy i'll be avoiding he brought up craig brought up avisail garcia also some concerns there about work ethic showing up to camp out of shape i I just there's no reason for me to buy in on him next year jorge soler maybe you know as like a late power source um you know it just he it's a health issue with him so he's a guy that i may take a chance on um you know, at his reduced price, what what's most likely to be a reduced price. Brian De La Cruz, what do you think? He finished strong. Craig seemed to be skeptical about him. Is he someone that, you know, with that power speed combo, that strong finish, do you think you'll be looking at him in drafts this year? I think I would take a flyer on him late, which means I probably won't get him. 
Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of people are going to have some helium on him that I'm not going to really buy into. Um, mm. He just doesn't look like he's that good of a hitter to me. And I, and that's, that's the eye test. That's not me doing any type of deep dive or anything like that. It just doesn't appear to be that they're in love with him either. I don't, I don't know that they're really going to give him uh, much of an opportunity. They do have kind of a log jam of outfielders there all of a sudden, don't they? Um it's it's it remains to be seen how that playing time is going to shake out too. I mean, if he gets an everyday role coming out of spring training, then maybe you push him up a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I look at him as a a guy that I would have as my fifth or sixth outfielder and be ready to cut quickly if it doesn't work out for me. Yep, yep, I'm with you on that. Nick Fortes, uh, he's someone that I'm probably in these draft champions leagues. I'm probably taking a flyer on him as as a third catcher. Every time he plays. There's there's some pop in that bat, you know, and I think he stole some bases, too. And not that that's like, I don't think sticky, but there's some potential there. And I think he'll get enough at bats to be a decent third catcher. And if anything happened to Jacob Stallings, he could really be an impactful catcher, uh, you know, in deeper leagues. So uh, and Jake Eater. I know mm-hmm. Craig was very high on him. I had no I'm not a dynasty guy. Are, are you, Mike? I, I don't know. I did it for the first time this year and uh, with mixed results. I mean, I, okay. I, I, I'm not really 100% sure what I'm doing yet. So commenting on it probably isn't super prudent at this point. But uh, yeah. I, I do know a little bit about him from uh, Dynasty and uh, definitely somebody that you want to earmark, I think, moving forward. Okay. Yeah, Craig seemed pretty confident that he's going to be in the rotation at some point. So definitely someone to keep an eye on. But any last thoughts before we wrap up, Mike? You know, of course, you know, we I have to talk about what he said of, with the closing situation because, oh, you know, I write, I, write, I write about closers for fan tracks, right? So yeah. um, I was kind of thinking about it a little bit more, and I liked what you brought up in, the, in there about uh, somebody like Colome or somebody like that coming down there as their closer. He, he seemed to feel that the, the closer was not on the roster. And, and I would tend to agree with him on that. But there's some interesting guys that might be on that lower tier of uh, closers who might be looking to regain some value uh, on a one-year contract that then uh, Kim Eng and the, the crew down in Florida could maybe flip at the trade deadline for something. Um, and then a name that comes to mind, you guys brought up Chapman, but the name that really came to my mind was Craig Kimbrell. Um, mm. You know, he's a, he's a free agent at the end of the year. There's no way the Dodgers are going to pick up a $16 million salary uh, with all the other stuff that they're going to have going on. So you could see somebody like Kimbrell still young enough at 34 to go down there and maybe have a little bit of value for them. Or maybe even if they go a little bit lower than that, they could look at somebody like a Will Smith or a Corey Knable, maybe even a Zach Britton, to maybe trying to rebuild some value as a closer in the game and doing something like that. I don't see them going after like, Kenley or, you know, Edwin Diaz or somebody like that. I mean, that doesn't right. make any sense, right. obviously, but um, that could be really interesting. I, I was something that I was speculating on as, as I was doing my um, my my work for my upcoming uh, stuff on fan tracks, kind of speculating on relievers that might be able to step into a, a, a bigger role um, and looking at Miami. Boy, there's just really not a lot there. <laughs> Um, so I'm guessing that that uh, Craig is right on that, that the, the next closer is probably not on the roster yet. You're doing the Lord's work, my friend, doing that. Uh, those closer articles. I mean, that <laughs> is just I, I can't I, I really. And that's why I'm so grateful for guys like you guys, you know, like um, like the guys that relieve a recon, Ryan Roof, like everybody yeah. who's doing closer work. You guys are really. You're special because oh, those, those guys are amazing. I mean, I can't hold a yeah. candle to those guys. The, the the recon guys and Ryan and Doug Dennis and yeah. uh, Greg yeah. Jewett, all the all the guys. They're better people than they are even writers. But I mean, uh, it is a labor of love, and it is you are a glutton for punishment when you write about bullpen stories. Man, let me yeah. tell you, <laughs> uh, I, I can imagine, man. Well, listen, we got to get out of here. Uh, so our other co-host, Carlos Mercano, couldn't join us. One of these days, uh, you know, we we kind of split this up, uh, you know, two and two. So we'll hopefully the next episode get the three of us together. But uh, we thank you so much for listening, choosing to take the time. Again, our plan is to do one of these podcasts for every team uh, before uh, the season starts in April. So... We're, we're going to get working at it. I think we got the Red Sox in two weeks. So 
we're going to be plugging away here. But again, thank you. If you have any feedback, please let us know on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Torres Takes. Mike, give him your handle. Uh, I have the worst Twitter handle ever at MDRC0508, which I know I could change, but now it's almost become a punchline. So I probably have to leave it, right? So yeah, yeah, you, you can't <laughs> change now. All right. Well, for Carlos, uh, we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening.